Hello and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore. So good to be with you again this week. We're back to having nice weather on Fridays and I'm uh, very excited. It's not too windy. It's not too hot. It's not too cold. I'll take it. Should be a lovely weekend. Uh, but listeners, you're not here to talk about the weather. We could start a separate weather podcast. I'd be into that uh, because I am a nerd in several dimensions. Speaking of people who are way cooler than me, my co-host today is Bailey Perkins Wright. Hello. Hello, Andy. Good to see your smiling face on this sunny day. Uh, It's been a busy week in the state legislature. I'm feeling a bit lighter because we passed another deadline, right? This week was the the floor deadline. Committee deadline for opposite chamber. For opposite chamber. That's Mm -hmm. correct. Which means a whole class of bills are now essentially dead, right? Again, everyone, listeners, you know, no no bill is ever fully dead until sine die happens. And revenue bills have a little bit more time, but all the other ones should be dead at this point. That's right. Which means, uh, you know, some of the bills that we've talked about most frequently that are certainly on our radar, right, are the there were three joint resolutions dealing with the initiative petition process that were nasty gnarly bills, and they did not get heard in committee. So barring an unexpected and you know uh, unfortunate attack on our democracy, those bills may be dead for an, and we're safe for another session. I hope that's the case. And we certainly have seen a lot of editorials and uh, op-eds and pushback from newspapers and business community and voters across the state acknowledging like uh, dear politicians do not tread on my rights as a voter you know and so because andy that's one of those issues where you see strange bedfellows come together yeah um, because it not only disenfranchises one area of the political spectrum or ideology it's everyone right because that makes it harder for any oklahoman or any entity regardless of what the belief system is to be able to say i want to address this issue and i want the voters to have a say in it and so whether that's you know guns or it's you know marijuana or it's putting Ten Commandments statues at the Capitol. <laughs> We've got all kinds of things hit the ballot, and this would make it harder, regardless of how you feel, whether it's good or bad, it'll make it harder to put anything for the people of Oklahoma to have a say. Well, and it and most importantly, I think it those bills, had they passed, would have severely limited voters' ability to serve as a check and balance on the legislature, right? The ballot initiative process is extraordinarily difficult in our state, and it is a last resort when a legislative strategy is unsuccessful. You know, like people only try to get stuff on the ballot and spend all the time and money and sweat and tears on that if the legislature is unable or unwilling to pass the legislation. And the fact that it passes at the ballot means that a majority of voters wanted that policy and Oklahomans have been proven to be sophisticated when it comes to making decisions on the ballot and being intentional, right? right? We've right. Uh, voted down state questions that related to um, 
agriculture in some ways. We've uh, passed Medicaid expansion. Um, there's just a number of things that have had different uh, percentages of a voter turnout even um, due to what's being considered. And so to me, we have a range of issues coming up on our ballot. It means that Oklahomans are paying attention and will be deliberate on um, what decisions that they want to make for our state. So that and a whole slew of other bills are dead, good and bad, if we're being totally honest, right? I mean, some good bills that didn't make it through. Uh, and earlier this week, uh, Nondoc had a story about Representative Chris Kennedy, who was on Tuesday um, of this week, where he refused to hear any Senate bills in his committee, which is the Civil Judiciary Committee, um, because he was upset that they didn't hear some of the House bills on the Senate side. And he basically was like, well, two can play at this game. Um, and, and I think said the words like, we're just going to burn it all down, right? Like if this is how it's going to be, um, we'll just burn it all down. And basically I'm not going to hear your bills if you don't hear mine. And it was a, like a six minute long committee meeting and then they left. And now he said he was open to meeting again later in the week, but to my knowledge, they didn't. Did you see anything? So that was it. Maybe I haven't was... seen anything. And I mean, and further into that same piece, there was perspective from Senator Julie Daniels about the nuances and concerns that she had about the bills that went on to the other side. But I think from the perspective of Representative Kennedy, it's at least allow the bill to have a hearing and have discussion. And so I think that was the, the frustration point was she was making the decision which is in the power and the authority of that committee chair of what gets heard and what doesn't, right? And so that is part of the, you know, legislative process is also these political dynamics of, you know, you don't hear our side's bill, we're not going to hear your side's bill when it comes to dynamics of the chambers. In addition to that, and again, listeners, you know, we will link to all or most of these uh, stories or things we've we discuss in the show notes. So if you haven't already checked our show notes for some of our past episodes and you want to find a link to a specific story for more details, more information, that's where you look. Um, also this week, perhaps most notably, is that Wednesday through Friday uh, was candidate filing, right? And so if you are running for any county, state, or federal office, um, you had to file in person, you or a representative of your campaign had to file in person at the election board. Um, as of this recording, we are recording this at roughly 4 p.m. on Friday, and there have been 535 total filings, which is and there's still one hour left at this point. So even after we record, there could be some others that may appear that we may have to mention. This. Since I pulled it up when you and I got on here to start recording, there's been five that have been submitted. Um, but uh, I think two years ago in 2020, Bailey, I think we had like around 600 can total candidates, right? For all of these seats that filed. And, and that was a very low number. That was back when everyone took the pandemic more seriously. We didn't have vaccines and all that stuff. And so candidate filing was depressed, right? A lot of folks did not want to run for office that year. 
which was much lower. I haven't gone back yet to look. I'm waiting for the final numbers, but I want to go back and look at previous elections and how many total candidates. I'm afraid that in a state where we see very low voter participation, we are also starting to see very low candidate participation. And that means more seats that are that have incumbents that are essentially automatically reelected, right, by having no challengers. And uh, in addition to that, more seats where uh, incumbents uh, or the seat only has candidates from a single party. And in a state like Oklahoma with closed primaries, that means that a huge swath of voters in that district don't get a say at all, right? And so we will see, I mean, we, you and I were looking through here and once it's all done, I'll have final numbers, I guess, next week for our podcast. But, you know, a number of state legislative seats where there's unopposed. Oh, yeah. Only two Republicans, right? Or only two Democrats that are running. Mm-hmm. And that means all of the voters, the opposite party, do not get a say because that will be decided in the primary election. That's not fair. That is, to me, that's the definition of undemocratic, right? If we had open primaries, a novel idea. Or ranked choice voting. Right. I mean, if it was open <laughs> and ranked choice voting, we'd have all kinds of choice. Um, so uh, maybe it's a good a good point, Bailey, for us to talk about some of those top of the ballot races for U.S. Senate, for Congress, for governor, um, because we've visited about those in the past um, to kind of identify how many different candidates have filed for that. I'm looking right now at and Go we ahead. have to remind the listeners that this was a very unique election year for Oklahoma, where we're likely to see more money poured into our state and more attention to our election system because we have the rare occurrence of having two U.S. Senate races happening at the same time. So we have two U.S. Senate races. We have all of our congressional seats that run every two years as as normal. Um, We have all of our statewide seats that are open um, and are especially like governor and lieutenant governor. Um, And then, of course, you have a number of Senate seats and all of the House of Representatives who are running. So this is going to be... um, an election where we're going to see, especially in the primary elections, we're going to see um, a, a lot of folks running. So, um, Andy, which which race do you want to start with? Let's start. I'm going to start on the list here. And this is on the election board website. Again, this link will be in um, the show notes. So I guess we're starting with U.S. Senator Inhofe's seat that he has resigned from. That's correct. Yeah. So there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve Republicans that are running. Is that right? Um, yes. And you know, listeners, you may know Mark Wayne Mullen, uh, current congressman, is running. T.W. Shannon, uh, State Senator Nathan Dom, Inhofe's um, chief of staff Luke Holland. We've discussed all of these, but new this week, Bailey just announced today. Uh, a certain name that listeners may know from our podcast of of your former EPA chief and former uh, uh, what Attorney General Attorney General of Oklahoma, Scott Pruitt, has entered the race. Now, our friend Scott Melson is uh, is driving to Dallas right now to visit family and can't join us. I saw him this morning in a meeting 
I mean, he was very disappointed to miss out on the uh, Pruitt Watch music. But this means, guys, that for the next several months, we have lots more opportunities for Pruitt Watch 2022. Uh, I don't expect that he is going to have much of a shot at winning this seat. Bailey, do you? Well, it all depends on who um, will get enough votes for the runoff, right? Right, Um, Since there are a lot of candidates running, um, it's going to be a numbers game of who shows up for each candidate. And so um, I'll be interested to see. And I've learned, especially after um, the 2016 election, to never assume what it's going to look like in the outcome. And then even, you know, the the 2018 gubernatorial race, right? We had several Republicans who had different levels of governmental experience and fell, you know, on different uh, parts of the political ideology spectrum. Um, But who knew that, you know, we would have a President Donald Trump and a governor, Kevin Stitt, right? Um, So, and then Andy raised an important point. Like you had folks at that time in 2018, like the Lieutenant Governor Todd Lamb running, who when you're Lieutenant Governor, I mean, it's the typical progression for you to then run for the governorship and to oftentimes be elected. We've had moments where, you know, Lieutenant Governors have not won the, the governorship, but um, he was a candidate that everybody expected to be strong in the running. And he wasn't in the the runoff position for um, governor in 2018. And so when we're looking at this list of who is running and who could be at um, the August runoff election, it's really going to be a matter of looking at the Republican electorate, right? What type of candidate are a majority of Republican voters looking for in this season? And so I guess we'll see who advances to the primary um, to to get a temperature on that. Yeah, it'll be definitely uh, interesting. Now we've got those big names, uh, you know, Congressman Mullen, T.W. Shannon, Nathan Dom. I think even Luke Holland, I saw in the news this week that some PAC has made like a $500,000 ad buy in support of Luke Holland. So he's going to go from someone who had zero name recognition to someone who has some name recognition in the, in the next couple of months. And it's still going to be a long shot for him, right? Because he yeah. is running against folks who have strong ties and name recognition in their different parts of the state. But also when it comes to moving to a primary, you know, those resources are going to be strategic for him because that could elevate enough people to push him towards the runoff, right? Because we know that there's a sector of folks who support Mullen, but then there's a sector of folks, you know, probably more in the Southwest part of the state or the CD4 region who would support a T.W. Shannon, right? There's even a group of folks who would, you know, support a Nathan Dom. Um, So he's going to really have to rely on um, those dollars being poured in to build his name recognition and to have his tie enough to Inhofe 
to have him squeezed into that prime. I mean, to that runoff. So, interestingly enough, uh, there for both the U.S. Senate seats, there is an ind- one independent in each race. Um, in this race, right? This is the race for Inhofe's seat. Kendra Horn is the only Democrat who has entered the race, which I think uh, speaks to one, well, the short time frame and to the perceived strength of her as a candidate, right? In that race that no other Democrats even thought to challenge her. They're just like, nope, Kendra's the one. Uh, we're going to back her. That is not the case in the other U.S. Senate seat, right? The seat that is currently held in in uh, by James Lankford, and he is running for re-election. And that's a seat that we've known for a couple years now, you know, that there would be an election for this right. seat. And right. So, this is the regularly scheduled election for that seat. Yes. Yeah. And so in that race, there are five candidates that are running, um, ranging in age from 29 to 67, or excuse me, five Democratic candidates ranging in age from 29, Jason Bollinger, um, up to 67, someone named Dennis Baker. Um, I recognize two of the names on here, Jason Bollinger and Madison Horn. The other names are new to me from Democratic candidates. Um, there are also three Republicans, Langford, the incumbent, Jackson Lehmeyer, who you've probably seen on the news. Um, he is, I, to my knowledge, he is the farthest right candidate um, uh, in that race. There's a third Republican, Joan Farr. I don't know anything about her. And there's a Libertarian. So it's a uh, on the ballot, we'll have at least four, the general ballot, we'll have at least four names, right? Because the Libertarian will be on there, the Republican, the Democrat, and the Independent. Uh, and in some ways, Bailey, uh, partisanship aside, I, I am a unaffiliated voter, but I will say, I always like a ballot that gives voters some choice, right? I mean, that's what makes our democracy strong and legitimate is when we have elections that are competitive that gives the voters the opportunity to select someone who more likely shares the values that they share. Um, It also gives us another opportunity to consider those who move up to the top because when there's more than three candidates in the running, that has to go to a runoff, right? And so the more elections that we have that people can participate in, I think that creates and uh, creates opportunities for more civic involvement. Um, part of, you know, Andy, you mentioned in the beginning that many of our races will either be decided upon who showed up to file or they're going to be determined in a certain party's Uh, primary, which means that there's a lot of folks who haven't participated in an election in a while. (laughs) And so if people had the chance to believe in a candidate and show up for somebody, that's going to create people, um, that will create a space for people to participate more frequently. And so um, I think it's always a good thing when we have a lot of people running. Yeah, I agree. Uh, maybe let's move on to the congressional races. Just to mention those, um, the first one that's up is CD two. Is there not? Oh no, sorry, CD CD one. That makes sense. One comes before two. Um, CD one, not really anything unexpected there. Kevin Hearn, the incumbent, is seeking re-election. He's got a Democrat and an independent uh, opponents there. CD two. Um, well, and I'll say too for even the U.S. Senate race with Lankford running, um, although um, 
the opponents have been gaining more traction, he's still positioned to be the person who's most likely to secure that seat. Um, and the same thing for um, CD1, Congressman Hearn is most likely to win that reelection. Right. I mean, it's often joked that a seat in Congress is the most secure job in America. Incumbents win more than 90% of the time, um, which is nuts, right? It's really interesting, too, because if congressional approval ratings for Congress are below 20%, right? Four out of five Americans think Congress is doing a bad job. And yet 90% of Congress uh, congressional representatives are reelected every time they run. And you're like, well, that doesn't add up. But I will say, though, that 10 percent is possible. I mean, we saw it um, in 2018 <laughs> in Oklahoma with CD5. Um, and then we're seeing it in other places across the country. And so I think the key is really when you have competitive races with candidates that people want to see, it is possible to unseat someone in a congressional seat or a U.S. Senate seat. Um, but again, it takes competitive elections. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, well, for CD2 then, um, an important addendum this week is that uh, Oklahoma Republican Party Chairman John Bennett has officially now filed and is running for that seat. And he had previously indicated he was not going to step down as party chair, which would be somewhat unprecedented. But today, the the news is out that he's going to step down from the party and I had heard some discussion um, that there was some people looking for a way to like basically hold a special, like a special session, like a special state party convention for this purpose. Like, so if he didn't step down, the party might have looked for a way to force him out, which is not a not a thing you want to have happen if you're trying to <laughs> trying to run for public office. But you know, it makes sense because that's a conflict of interest, right? For someone to lead a party and run for a top position within that party that they have, you know, a likely stronghold to. So I don't also see how you can juggle the duties and separate the duties of running a political party and running for Congress at the same time without some type of conflict of interest. Um, I know many times parties do not endorse candidates until that primary election has been decided and they know who the candidate is going into the general. And so since he is running, it'd be one thing if he was the only Republican, you know, running for that specific seat, um, because then there wouldn't be bias from the party. But in this scenario, this is going to be a really competitive primary election and a competitive runoff. And so it wouldn't be fair for him to maintain his seat as the party chair and to run for Congress. And so it makes a lot of sense to me that they're going to figure out what ways to make it happen, regardless of what his decision is on resignation. <laughs> That's right. And he uh, will face some formidable opponents, including current state legislators, Marty Quinn, Avery Fix, Fricks, excuse me, um, and Dustin Roberts, gosh, three in that race. Um, I think that's it. And then a bunch of other people, um, Johnny Teehee, who uh, has a lot of name recognition 
in um, that part of the state in eastern Oklahoma. Uh, and so that'll be interesting. Also, uh, there's an independent running. Oh, no Democrats. That's interesting. No Democrats for that seat, but an independent whose name is an 88-year-old man whose name is Bulldog Ben Robinson. I don't know anything about Bulldog Ben Robinson, but I sure hope that Trace and Non-Doc writes a story because I'm... Yeah, we need to know about Bulldog. Um, yeah, there's more to this story that we need to find out. Well, and to our listeners, this is another um, election that's going to um, kind of be a toss-up because it's really going to depend on who the Republican voters are going to advance to the runoff. So this is another race where we're going to be able to gauge the temperature of Republican voters in Oklahoma and what issues, you know, they want to see advanced in Congress. Yeah, because there's 13 Republicans in the CD2 race, which is yes. a lot of candidates. A whole lot. Hey, good, good job, everyone. Good for running. Um, CD3, currently held by incumbent Frank Lucas, who recently received an endorsement from uh, President Donald Trump. Um, he has two Republican opponents and a Democrat. He previously had another Republican opponent, um, state legislator Sean Roberts, who announced today on Friday the 15th that he was not actually going to run for that seat, um, presumably because Lucas got the uh, got the Trump endorsement and Roberts thus couldn't. Um, that might have kind of cut off his, uh, his path to victory there in the beginning. Uh, CD4... Incumbent Tom Cole is seeking re-election. Um, at the, he's got a Republican opponent too. Oh, I assume is more conservative. That's the trend, uh, and also a Democrat, Mary Brennan. But with that seat as well, um, I would say both with um, CD three, Congressman Lucas is most likely to win that race, and the same thing with CD four. Um, Congressman Cole is a staple <laughs> in that seat. Um, and I know that Mary Brannon um, is often a perennial candidate for that district. And so I suspect that um, Congressman Cole will maintain his seat. Yeah, I think uh, everyone thinks that um, is likely the case. Um, also, she's 70 and he's 72. That's interesting. Um, and I think it's interesting, Bailey, on this election board website, uh, that they have going this year, this little dashboard. At the top, it gives the dates, uh, the total number of filings, which is still holding steady at 535 since we started recording. Actually, 537 now. Really? Mine hasn't updated. Well, dang. Is the average age still 51? It's still 51. I think it's interesting. Oh, ooh, mine says 541. I guess they're coming in fast and furious. I'll have to scroll back up and see if anyone... Um, snuck in on these races we already talked about. but So it was really interesting because on Wednesday morning, there was a story about a state representative who got in line at 5 a.m. to uh, file because uh, filing opens at 8 a.m. So I don't know if he wanted the award of being the first person to file, but you know there isn't necessarily anything special about when you do it, you know, within those three days of filing. So maybe there are some folks who want to be the last person on this site to file. I don't know, but right. I'm, I'm willing to bet that we're going to see several more come in in the next like 50 minutes. Yeah. I mean, I guess there's something to be said for being the first and then everybody else after that, it doesn't matter. Right. And so um, that's funny. 
Well, uh, so I think the last congressional race, right, is CD5, incumbent Stephanie Bice has a Republican opponent as well as Democrat uh, opponent Joshua Terrace Hill and independent David Frosch. Um, so that seat, of course, as I think listeners know, has, due to uh, redistricting, has gotten more conservative. Um, it used to be much closer to a 50-50 seat, although it was always a Republican lean to it, but now it's a 58 to 38 percent um, Republican lean. So I guess that's it has a- less of Oklahoma County in it than before, because now CD3 has more of um, Oklahoma City in it. I think even up as far as like um, the Plaza District. So, so that does make it more challenging for um, Democratic candidates who no longer have like the south side of Oklahoma City and some of the more progressive areas of the districts. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, and I haven't seen any surprises in the governor's race. It's all the people we knew were going to run. Governor Stitt, Joel Kinsel, whom we discussed last week, Mark Sherwood, the very conservative guy from, I think, up in Tulsa, the pastor, libertarian Natalie Bruno, Democrats Connie Johnson and Joy Hoffmeister, and former Republican, now independent, Urban Yen. Um, and I think it's important to note as well of important endorsements. Um, Governor Stitt not only received the endorsement of Donald Trump, but he had a recent fundraising, a, a, a recent fundraiser, if I can get my words at, uh, at uh, Marlago. So Marlago, Marlago. That's what Mar-a-Lago. We Mar-a-Lago. should call it whatever you said the first time. That was funnier. I like that. <laughs> Uh, and then, I can get my words correct. <laughs> <laughs> well, and listeners, uh, you know, we talk a lot about these other top of the ballot races this year, probably more than we have in years past, honestly. Um, but the ones that are, I think, super important that fly under the radar normally are races, the other statewide elected seats, the uh, state auditor and inspector, the attorney general, the state treasurer the state school superintendent, the labor commissioner, and the insurance commissioner, and the corporation, one of the corporation commissioners. There's three of those seats. Um, one of them is up every cycle. I think there's six-year appointments, uh, six-year terms. And so we've got all of those filings as well. Um, some familiar names among, oh, and lieutenant governor. I didn't mention that. So some familiar names to highlight. Um Obviously, Lieutenant Governor Matt Pinnell is seeking re-election. Libertarian Chris Powell, who ran for governor previously, is running for um, light gov there. Um, State Auditor Cindy Byrd is seeking re-election. And And unfortunately, with that seat, that's another one where um, it's going to be determined in the Republican primary of who wins that seat because there isn't a Democrat running. There is a Democrat running for lieutenant governor. So that means there will be an election in November, but for state auditor and inspector, Republican voters will make the decision. Yeah. For AG as well, um, incumbent, I guess he's incumbent, John O'Connor, who was appointed in, into the seat, is running against Gettner Drumming and I think trailing Gettner in the, in the polling. And they have another opponent that's a libertarian, Linda Steele, but no Democrats. So Democrats will not get to vote in the attorney general's race whatsoever. No, they guess they will in the general. It'll be yeah, a because libertarian. There'll be a libertarian election, yeah, so they get to but they, they won't have a democratic option. It'll just be a Republican versus a libertarian right. in November. Right. Interesting. 
the state treasurer. We've got some familiar names, Clark Jolly, um, David Hooten for Oklahoma County residents might know. Um, the Democrat in that race is Charles DeCoon. He ran in 2018, I think, for state treasurer as an independent. Um, I think we had him on the podcast back then, actually, maybe a couple of times. So um, he good to see his name out there again. Um, superintendent of public instruction. And that'll be an election to watch as well for many of the voters. So Yeah, yeah. several of these names, right? April Grace and Ryan Walters and Gina Nelson. Um, interesting. Labor Commissioner Leslie Osborne, who's been on the show several times, is seeking re-election, and she has uh, no primary opponent but a libertarian opponent. Um, so that'll go to the general election. Everyone mm -hmm. gets to vote on that. Uh, and this is one that's very unfortunate, not because of who's serving, but for the fact that there's not going to be an election, right? Um, the insurance commissioner is going to be already decided if no one files here in the next 45 minutes, um, Glenn Mulready will be automatically our insurance commissioner. And not saying anything, you know, disparaging against Glenn Mulready. It's just that will not be an election that people will get to decide on because no one put their name on the ballot besides the incumbent. Yeah, no kidding. I may, I may tweet out right now while we're recording that someone should hurry up and just go file so that voters get a choice in this. Otherwise, we don't, right? And I, listeners, if you're hearing all of this and maybe you're reading these um, these candidate filings on the website while you listen to the podcast uh, and you're thinking, what the heck? Like, why don't more people run for these other races that are statewide seats, right? But they're, they're not like the high profile congressional seat. Well, first of all, just keep this in mind. Uh, U.S. Senate is extraordinarily hard to win and it's expensive. And you have to go to Washington every week, right? Congress, you have to go to Washington every week. Uh, these statewide seats, you can just stay here at home. You can see your kids every night. Well, but what I'll say about the U.S. Senate seat as well is that Oklahoma has a lot of landmass, right? That's a lot of travel to hit all 77 counties, right? Um, and Oklahoma is a state where you have to have more than what I call the I-44 corridor. You gotta have more than Tulsa, Oklahoma City and Lawton in order to win an election, right? And all of that takes resources. That's what makes it expensive, right? You gotta figure out how you can get in front of the folks in the panhandle. You gotta figure out how to get in, folk, in front of folks who live you know, in Broken Bow or in the Southeast part of the state. And so you have to spend money to put ads in newspapers and to, buy television ads and send mailers, and all of those come with a cost, right? And when you add up all of that, and then on top of that, hiring people to go to these different parts of the state, um, you have to have millions, plural, of dollars just to be competitive. Yeah. And costs just continue to go up. Well, and you, I mean, you look at some of these other races that we've discussed, right, that have... 12 or 13 candidates for the primary, and then you got to run for the general. It's a much uh, higher bar. But I'm just saying, listeners, don't sleep on these other statewide races. If you mm -hmm. were considering running for office, I mean, you can run for you know local office. Don't sleep on those either. But if you're thinking about statewide, I mean, if you've got 250 bucks, you could in, in the next 45 minutes, you could be on the ballot as uh, a candidate for insurance commissioner. And these are important jobs. Like they set rules and policies that 
honestly affect your life a lot more than you realize, right? Uh, and well, so- Andy, to your point, um, there was an article about a Sand Springs city council race being contested because the person won by two votes, right? So in some of these races, you know, all it takes is getting enough people to show up for you to be able to win. Now, I mean, that's definitely not the case for like Congress and the U.S. Senate. Like you really got to put in some work and 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 start early. But in many of these races, um, it doesn't take, you know, raising millions of dollars and this massive infrastructure, you know, to be able to reach voters and be able to be elected into seats and make a difference. And so um, I agree with you, Andy, 100%. Like people should not be discouraged from running for um, state level offices and local offices in our state. And the last um, statewide race that we hadn't talked about was the insurance, I mean, com- uh, the um, Corporation Commission. Oh, right. So listeners, in case you don't know, there are three corporation commissioners and that name is, I think, ambiguous. Here's what they do. They they oversee the energy companies and the utilities. It's a hugely important position. Um, Especially powerful. recently, right after these storms that hit, um, yeah. the utility companies are requesting rate hikes and other things to be able to recover from everything that's happened. And, and those three folks who sit on that commission make the decision of what our rates are and, and, and other things. So that's exactly right. They are enormously powerful in this state. Um, and so uh, Senator Kim David is running for corporation commissioner. She's been the uh, she's chair of A and B in the Senate for the last couple of cycles. Um, she's probably, I would assume the front runner for that race. Um, Todd Thompson is running. Isn't he a former legislator as well? He is. He's a former House member, and then he's also a former OU football player. So, oh, look at that! All right, uh, and there's a Democrat, and this, there's two other Republicans: Justin Humback and Harold Spraulding, Spradling, Spradling, Spradling. I'm sorry, Harold. I'm, I totally butchered your name. I think it's Spradling. In case you're listening, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, Democrat Margaret Bowman is also running. So I think that wraps up the uh, top of the ticket races. Yeah, whole lot of judges running. <laughs> Ooh, there's a whole, I mean, there's a ton of district judges and associate district judges. And those are nonpartisan races that are most, some of them are, they have retention ballots, don't they? Or are they all just reelected automatically? I believe they have retention ballots as well. So interesting. Um, and then it gets into all the state legislative races, and we are not going to go through all 149 of those one by one. Well, it's not even 149. It's, 101 in the House and half of the Senate, right? So 120-ish. We're not going to go through all of those. But um, from what I've seen, Bailey, there are a lot of races that are going to be decided today just by filing where people don't draw opponents and um, a lot more where they have an opponent only of their own party. Yep. You know, earlier you mentioned that state representative, uh, it was Max Wolfley, who was the one that um, showed up first, got there at 5 a.m., right, to uh, file his paperwork. He has an opponent and a Democrat uh, named Tegan Malone. District 95, where is that in the state? Do you know? Um, I do not know off the top of my head. Um, 
Let me do a Google. Okay. Well, while you Google that, um, I'll bring up the next topic, and that is the race for Oklahoma County District Attorney, which is also, I think, one of the races that people are going to be watching, right? Is Prater running for re-election? I'm totally spacing No, out. he is not running. And that's what makes this so interesting because Prater has been our DA for at least a couple of decades. And so this will be a new era for Oklahoma County on who is elected, right? Um, and so we have um, for a current um, county commissioner for Oklahoma County and former uh, state house member, Kevin Calvey. Um, there's a challenger named Galen Geiger, Robert W. Gray, and Jackie Ford, um, who I believe worked in the DA's office. I think that's right. I believe. Um, and then on the Democratic side, um, because our so while our judges are nonpartisan races, our DA or district attorney races are partisan. Um, so Mark Miles. We don't want the judge to be partisan, but the prosecutor can be. That's just makes no sense to me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, Mark Miles is running for that seat and, and Vicki Vanna. Um, is running as well. So Mark Miles uh, ran for attorney general um, in the 2018 race, I believe. Um, and But for sure, he did run for attorney general. Um, and then Vicki Benna, I believe, runs the Oklahoma Innocence Project. So um, that may be a name that you have heard um, so that will be an interesting race because this will be the first time in a long time that Oklahoma County has had um, a new district attorney. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely chart a new path. And again, I think in light of Prater's tenure there and the statistics about incumbents winning, right? Like it shows you that whoever gets in could be there for a while, right? And so voters should should, should choose wisely, as they say on Indiana Jones. And Andy, you asked about House District 95. That represents uh, parts of Midwest City in Oklahoma City um, in Oklahoma County. Wow, interesting. So. I um, How fascinating. Let's, we'll be keeping an eye on that one just because I'm curious now. Um, it's also, I think, important to note who is not running. I know we discussed that a lot last week, but added to that is uh, House District 87 Representative Colin Walkie, who I'm pretty certain we've had on the show in the past. He announced this week that he would not be seeking re-election. Bailey, do you know if anyone is running for his seat? I haven't even looked. Yes, there is someone who's running for his seat. Um, there is a Republican named Valerie Walker, and the Democrat is Ellen Hefner. Do you know anything about either of those? I don't, but I am eager to, to learn about both of their backgrounds. Maybe we could talk about it on a future podcast yeah it'd be interesting i think and listeners i mean you know we try to we try to give you some context here and like an educative sense about some of these candidates and, and the races and i think more importantly the races and the seats and what they do especially some of those statewide seats like corporation commissioner some of you may not have known those even existed much less the fact that they can oversee the utilities and the energy companies is a big deal um we don't we try not to get too in the weeds of candidate races well because that's candidate politics and that's the kind of stuff that we don't do we save that for our group our group text separately privately um and 
I th- so I think maybe Bailey, uh, we've got a you know five minutes left or so. Um, a couple other things we could mention this week. Well, before we get into that, one thing that voters will well voters hopefully our listeners are voters um, will remember that um, Representative Jose Cruz's seat. Uh, will be up for election. And so there's two people running for that seat, Alturo Alonzo and Chris Bryant. So those are the names of the two folks who will be running for that open seat. Interesting. Also, um, Norman Democrat and Democratic leader Emily Virgin is term limited, so she's not running because she can't. Um, And there are, I think, at least two people running for her seat, Kate Kate, uh, Bierman and... Jared Deck are the two that I know of. Um, the two Republicans. Oh, and then uh, Repub- or two Democrats and then Republican R.J. Harris is running. So that'll be another interesting seat. You know, I think, you know, some of those areas like District 44 kind of reliably uh, Democratic seats. Same with um, the with Colin Walkie and Jose Cruz's seats we mentioned. Uh, and so there are so few of those in this state. It's interesting to see who, who files for those. And also there's a few people running for a representative bell seat. That's open. Um, Annie men's mm-hmm. on the democratic side. Um, and then there's two Republicans, Dave Spalding and Teresa Sterling. Interesting. So. Well, again, listeners, you can find all of these um, candidate filings on the state election board website. And uh, we will again, link to those in the chat. I just refresh it and there's been seven more people added to the list who knows where they got added we'll find out later um i'm also going to try to tabulate how many people did um like do not have challengers how many folks did not seek re-election some of those statistics because um, i think voters need to know right that there is an opportunity here to change the state in a key way and you just as we say every week bailey decisions are made by those who show up but you got to show up to help make that decision. Um, well, I, just a couple of other things to highlight. One, I'll highlight this one about Canoe because we've talked about them. This isn't really even a, a Oklahoma-related thing, aside from the fact that I think they're going to build some of these vehicles in Oklahoma. But I saw this on Gizmodo, which is like a tech blog that I have followed for years. Uh, and the story was that NASA has chosen Canoe to design and build three types of custom vans or crew transportation vehicles as the space agency refers to them and anyway these these um ctvs will basically be what drives the crew like from the building to the rocket right and then i think the long-term goal is that they are hoping um that and they use them for lots of stuff. They need they need vehicles that are like kind of weird and boxy. They've been using Chevy Astro vans since like the early '80s, uh, and so these canoe vehicles will be like what drives them from the building on the tarmac out to the rocket with all of their gear and stuff. And Andy, that gives a lot more context as to why they're extra expensive and why they haven't been produced yet. Because <laughs> there's a lot of standards they have to hit in order to be you know, vehicles that are part of the space infrastructure. That's, that's possibly true. Yeah. I'm very curious though. Like if, if they're replacing like 
40-year-old Chevy Astro minivans, like how advanced do they have to be, right? Because those Astro vans were just like a metal box with wheels, and which is about what the canoe vehicles look like. So if it pans out, I mean, hey, kudos to them for getting this contract. You know, everyone loves a good government contract, including state legislators. Did you see that story this week? I did. Very, very interesting. Again, listeners, if you're considering running for office, I implore you, if you win and get elected, please go above and beyond to make sure that there's nothing scandalous happening in your life. I think that brings us to the end of the episode. Bailey, thanks for being here today. Andy, appreciate you always. Listeners, thank you for being here as well. Um, you only have, you know, well, now you're listening to this later. I won't post this till after the uh, the closing time, but don't forget to uh, start reading up on these legislators and these uh, other elected officials in your areas. We will have more information about voting in particular and how to vote moving forward. Um, And remember, as we've said, decisions are made by those who show up. Have a good week.